A very good morning to you and welcome to Brighton Road. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, welcome to Stuart Davison, where is he? Who's coming to share God's word with us later on. We gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring God our praise and our worship and our thanksgiving today. Can I remind church members please that the deadline for deacons nominations closes at six o'clock tonight. I trust you have been praying about that over the past week or so. Uh, do you have nomination forms, Adrian? Do, yeah. Adrian has nomination forms. You have seven and a half hours to turn your prayers into action and get your nomination forms into Adrian today, please. We have a number of vacancies that do need filling today. Next week is Remembrance Sunday. In addition to paying tribute to those who have given life and limb in the service in this country, we will also be reflecting on the tragedy and the cost of conflict and an opportunity for us to remember people close to us who may have died over the past year or, so, year or so. So that will be next Sunday service, will include an opportunity for personal remembrance, as well as remembrance of the cost of war in world wars and current conflicts. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 33, verses 1 to 5. You are the Lord's people. Obey him and celebrate. He deserves your praise. Praise the Lord with harps, use harps with ten strings to make music for him, sing a new song, shout, play beautiful music. The Lord is truthful, he can be trusted, he loves justice and fairness, and he is kind to everyone, everywhere on earth. This is our God, let's stand and worship him together. Lord, I come before your throne of grace.
give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the peoples. Please be seated and let's pray. Glorious God, we come today to give you thanks for your wonderful works to us. We acknowledge your goodness. We recall your steadfast love which is constant yesterday, today and forever. When our souls faint, you restore us. When we're lost, you redeem us. When distressed, you put your arms around us. And in your mercy, O God, you deliver us and restore us. And when we cry to you, your ears are always open to our cry. And when we don't listen to you, you're patient with us. Open our ears that we might hear your word of grace and power and truth 
and salvation today. We're thirsty. And you promise to quench our thirst with your spirit. We're hungry. And you've promised to fill us with good things. Where we stumble, you hold us. Where we falter, you uphold us. And wherever we wander, you guide us. Set our feet on a straight path and lead us on a way that's sure and true. And we thank you that we can pray in confidence, knowing that you are good and your steadfast love is constant. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Michael and I both have stories to share this morning about finding our way. So Michael, come and share yours first. I was given a patch when I was working, and that patch was the southeast of England. That includes Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland has six counties. Ulster has nine. I went to the airport in Belfast because I had an appointment in County for Manor. And as I went to the airport, I picked up my car and it was not allowed to travel in the Republic of Ireland because there was no insurance. So I had to make certain I stayed in Northern Ireland. I went down to Fermanagh, I did my appointment, and on the way back, I was driving back through Northern Ireland, and I came to a road, and the way ahead, Satnav said, follow. So the road said, road closed. Go left or go right. I had no option. So I decided to go left in my common sense, my God-anointed common sense. I then came along the road. As I was travelling along the road, I came to another sign. Satnav said, go straight on, but that said road closed. I could choose left or I could choose right. I, in my common sense, chose left. After a while, I came along the road and I came to a road uh, speed sign and it said 80 I thought, hang on a minute, do we have 80 miles an hour speed limits in country roads in the United Kingdom? The answer is no. I guessed I was probably in the Republic. So as I travelled to the main road, I saw a road sign which said Monaghan. Monaghan is one of the three counties in Ulster which is in the Republic. And I'd gone wrong. So I thought, well, OK, I'm going to go straight through Monaghan and carry on driving through the rebel republic, which rebelled against the kingdom. So what is this? I was looking at this this week, and we often come to that road sign where it says stop. But we have choices. I didn't have a map book in the car. Had I had a map book, I probably would have turned right. But I chose to follow the convenience of a sat-nav. I didn't have a MacBook because when I did my, um, my email to Tim, its MacBook came out as MacBook. Now, it wouldn't have helped me because I would have needed power of the Holy Spirit and I would have needed Jesus to guide me. So I didn't have my MacBook, the Bible, and I didn't have... All I had was my common sense and the sat-nav that led me awry. So as I followed it, I went into the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of rebellion, the kingdom of sin, because I followed my common sense. 
Within the church, I looked at Ulster, and in a sense, it's very much like the church. Part of the, king, part of the church is in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And part of Ulster is in the republic, rebelling against God. We need to follow the way, and the way is Jesus. Jesus is the truth, the light, and the way. If we follow the word and the map book that God's given us, we will not go wrong. If we follow the sat-nav, or the common sense, or the God-anointed common sense, we can drive in the wrong direction into the kingdom of sin. The choice has to be to follow the map book and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I would like to clarify that there is nothing inherently sinful about the Republic of Ireland, just to set the record straight on that one. Um, I, I share Michael's love of maps. I'd always rather consult a proper map. I remember being in Chesterfield with Sue once. We were looking for the supermarket. Her phone told us that the nearest supermarket was in Bournemouth, so I'd always rather have a proper map. Um, I remember leading a group of young people here from Southwater Country Park to Micklepage, where we were staying, and I was using this very map. I hate retracing my steps, so I thought we'd go back a different way. And on the map, I, I looked yesterday, and it still gives the misleading impression that there is a road, that, there is a, a bridleway that crosses the Southwater Bypass on the A24. So we took the detour to find that the path just stopped dead in the middle of nowhere. And so we had to retrace our steps with a group of very tired and grumpy young people. There was no one looking over my shoulder to say, this isn't the right way. On the other hand, I remember walking once with Rob, and I was Matt Reader, and I said, we go right here. He said, Dad, I think we go left. And actually, he was right. And that's why, as Michael said, God hasn't just given us a map. He's given us the Bible as a map. He's also given us the Holy Spirit to be our guide. It's easy to misread a map. It's actually possible to misinterpret the Bible as well. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit, to interpret and apply scriptures that we can understand it correctly. Without the Spirit, the Bible can just be a dead letter that condemns and kills. Uh, on the other hand, without the Bible, we can just be like people blindly following a sat-nav. Uh, we need to check what we think and feel against the Word of God in Scripture. So the Word and Spirit go hand in hand. We read the Bible, we follow the promptings of the Spirit, and they mesh together to be a clear guide for us. As someone once said, you have the Bible without the Spirit, you dry up. You have the Spirit without the Bible, you blow up. Uh, but with the Bible and the Spirit hand in hand, you grow up. So we've heard about uh, the Spirit's witness to God's truth in Scripture. Let's hear what Scripture says about God's gift to us of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Paul says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. So I never stop being grateful for you, as I mention you in my prayers. And I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you his Spirit. The Spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. And my prayer is that light will flood your hearts and that you will understand the hope that was given to you when God chose you. Then you will discover the glorious blessings that will be yours together with all of God's people. I want you to know about the great and mighty power that God has for us followers. It's the same wonderful power he used when he raised Christ from death 
and let him sit at his right hand in heaven. And there Christ rules over all forces, authorities, powers and rulers. He rules over all beings in this world and will rule in the future world as well. God has put all things under the power of Christ and for the good of the church. He's made him the head of everything. The church is Christ's body and is filled with Christ who completely fills everything. Hallelujah. That's who we are in Christ. Let's stand and worship the sovereign who is Lord of all name, of all majesty. Amen. If you're going upstairs to BRBK, God bless you as you go and have a great time up there. If you're not, we seek God's blessing here in our meeting together. Amen. We started our, wor- our worship with some words from Psalm 33. Amen's going to come and read the rest of the psalm to us. Thank you.
And I'm glad I made it here because I'm from the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> yes, I am. We'll talk about that later anyway. Um, Psalm 33, 6 to 22. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the seas into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and he stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nation. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purpose of his heart through all generation. Blessed the nations whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From the heaven the Lord looks down and he sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the heart of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by the great strength. A horse is a vain hope of deliverance. Despite all his great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope is unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus and put our trust in him and his steadfast love for us. Let's stand and sing together when trials come.
Lucy Down. Hello, people. Today is the 5th of November. Bonfire night, when we can concentrate or commemorate the event in our country that happened nearly 420 years ago, during a period of continual conflict and fear. This morning, we turn our thoughts to an area of our world that is at this moment suffering a terrible conflict where there is tremendous fear and anger and terror. We pray for the victims of the war in Gaza. There are other places suffering war, Yemen, Burma and Ukraine, but from those places people can escape. No one can escape from Gaza. So we live at focus on Gaza. So what should we do? Let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, we pray for an early end to all this senseless bloodshed. We pray that the United Nations may make a sustained effort to halt the violence and the possible escalation into a larger conflict involving the whole of the Middle East, North Africa and NATO. We pray that the United Nations may exert its authority and ensure that all aid can and will go into Gaza without hindrance. This including food, water, medicines and fuel. Anything that is needed for the relief of suffering for the Palestinians and the people of Gaza. Almighty God, please raise up someone, a leader, a negotiator, someone of wisdom and strength who can bring peace to a troubled land, who can show that all people have one important thing in common. We are children of God, and loving him and he loving us is the only important thing, and that any differences we may have are of no importance at all. 300,000 people are displaced and trapped in Gaza with no apparent hope of escape. We pray for these people, ordinary men, women and children. We pray for those who are now homeless, that they may be given shelter. We pray for those without water, food or medicine. We pray for those who have suffered loss of friends and family, who are grieving, that they may be given comfort. We pray that the dead may be given decent and civilised burials. We pray for those who have been wounded, that they may recover, and for those who are treating them and rendering all medical assistance, that they may have the resources to do their work. We pray for the hostages and their families, that they may be treated well and have food and comfort and peace of mind, and for the mediators, that they may have strength and faith and skill as they try to facilitate the release of the prisoners. We pray for the local Christians, especially the young, that they may be protected and not caught up with the hatred and extremism of the competing forces. Father God, we pray for the peace, hope and security of the entire region and that both Israeli and Palestinian may eventually enjoy your peace and freedom. O oh Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. And now, near at home, we pray for those who have suffered as a result of the floods who have hit this country these last few weeks, that they may find shelter and comfort and support and relief among all the damage, 
We pray for the rescue services who are risking their lives to help others. Please keep them safe. And lastly, we pray for our own fellowship. We now must think of, this pos of the possibility of our recruiting a youth minister. We pray that over the coming months, we may seek and discover your will in this matter. Heavenly Father, we pray that our church will be a church where you are honoured and glorified. <clears throat> we pray that it will be a place where your peace and joy and goodness may be found. And we pray that we will love one another as you have loved us. And we will know how to share your good news with those around us and in our community. We pray in particular for those of our fellowship who are ill, suffering pain, or bereavement, or feeling abandoned. We pray for those known to us now. Please put your loving arms around them and give them your peace. These things we ask in the name of your only Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue to work our way through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. On the back of Terry's prayer for us as a fellowship, let's listen to his vision for the church there and what it should be like. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. And this is the passage that Stuart will be speaking to us on in a moment or two. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Whenever we hear God's calling about the kind of people we should be, we cannot but be aware of our shortcomings and the way which we don't live up to the lifestyle that God calls us to embrace. So let's acknowledge that as we sing together, dear Lord and Father of mankind.
Stuart, can I pray for you? Lord, may your spirit to inspire the Apostle Paul to write the words that we will be thinking about rest upon Stuart now. Mm. Enable him to interpret your word and may it live in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you again here in Horsham. Now, uh, until a year or so ago, whenever I was uh, at a church, I would bring you the greetings of SEBA, the Southeastern Baptist Association. But since I'm retired, I can't do that anymore. So I'll bring you some greetings from other people instead. First of all, some greetings from Spurgeon's College. I'm vice chair of governors there, and uh, it's been a time of great change. Some of you will be aware of that. We now have degree awarding powers so that we can issue our own degrees, and we are on course to being a university, not just a college. So do pray for us during all of that. Um, we now have uh, a chancellor, um, not just a, um, a uh, yeah, whatever, uh, <laughs> principal. Well, the principal is now the vice-chancellor, which means he runs the show, that's Philip, who is from Northern Ireland, I must say, not from Southern Ireland. Um, and uh, so do pray for, <laughs> for us. Um, and uh, and our, our new chancellor, uh, is, the, is Rick Warren, who wrote um, The Purpose Driven Church and The Purpose Driven Life. So, uh, and as, just as an aside from that, I just want to let you in on a little bit of what's been going on on that, because um, Rick Warren was in the Southern Baptists in America, and he's come out on the issue of women in leadership agreeing that biblically women can, be, um, can preach and women can be in leadership in the church. As a consequence, he has faced some awful opposition from within the church. Um, so do pray for, for Rick. He has a, an international ministry, but some of the way he has been treated recently by those who call themselves Christians is quite frankly appalling. Uh, so... That's one greeting I will bring you. Another greeting I will bring you is from your brothers and sisters in Israel-Palestine. I go out there every two years or so. Well, I was until COVID, but I'm back out there again, God willing, uh, in May. If anyone wants to come and join me, you're welcome. I normally take church leaders uh, groups out there, uh, but this particular uh, trip will be open to anybody who wants to, to come and uh, meet some of the Christians out there as well as seeing, so seeing the living stones as well as seeing some of the, the old dead stones that are there in that land. So, uh, so greetings from them uh, over these last uh, two or three weeks. As you can imagine, I've been in touch with them and they've been sharing how they've just been stopping church services to have prayer meetings and meeting to fast. They've been fasting and praying during this period of turmoil in their country. So do pray for your brothers and sisters there. And it was a delight to hear that we were led in prayer uh, for that this morning. So let's come to this particular passage of scripture that we have been given. If we could have the first slide up, please. Hopefully. There we go. That was the title I was given on this particular passage of Scripture, Take Aim. 
Have you ever tried blindfolded archery? You don't know what you're missing. Oh. <laughs> I'm quite bad at archery, but I aim to improve. Uh, actually, truth, I did get into archery at school. Uh, we had a, an archery club at school. In fact, we had a teacher who was an international archery judge. And uh, I found that there was a bit of a drawback, but it's quite fun. <laughs> Actually, one thing you discover about archery is that the further away from the target you get, the higher you have to aim, because otherwise things fall short. So when we're talking in this passage about taking aim, let's be aware that the further we are away from the target, the higher we need to aim or we will fall short. Romans 23, 23, of course, says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, or as one American put it, we all suffer from falling shorts. So when this, bio, when this verse tells us to aim for love, however much we think we love, we can love more. However much we think we love, maybe we need to be aiming higher than we sometimes do. Of course, in Greek, life is a bit different because we think about love, and this particular word that's used here is philia. And, uh, but philia is only one of four Greek words in the New Testament for love. And I've put them up there for you. Philia, storge, eros, and agape. And just to try and enlighten, uh, enlarge on that a little bit, eros, um, so I'm not doing these in order, but eros is a romantic love. It's a passion. It's a desire. But it is love. We've taken it, and I'll come back to this in a minute, we've taken it and think of things like erotic from the word eros. But erotic doesn't necessarily have to do with love. This word is about the passion of love. Then there is storge, which is a family love. It's a love that is about loyalty and about empathy for one another within the family. There is agape. Agape is an unconditional love. It's the love of God that he gives to us, whether we deserve it or not. You know, God loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Whatever you think of yourself, God loves you. Whatever you've done, right or wrong, God loves you and is committed to loving you. That's the depth of his love. That's agape love. And then there is philia, which is the one here in this passage, which talks about, it's about friendship. It's about affection. It's about goodwill towards one another. And we're going to try and unpack that a little bit this morning. But you see, when God took aim, and we've talked about archery, well, there's other forms, isn't there? There is... Well, if any of you do darts, you will know that... Um, oh, there we go. When God 
did archery. When he took aim, he used three nails to show his love as his son was nailed on the cross. The previous verses, so talking about love here, speak of impure relationships. Paul does not use eros there, sexual love, but rather he speaks of sexual sin, distinguishing. It's funny how we have different words in our language but we seem to have only one word that we use over and over again for love. And because of that, we get very confused sometimes about what we mean. We can say, I love my dog, I love my wife, I love chocolate, and use the same word. I love everyone. I came across this quote the other day. Some people I love to be around while some of them are people I would rather avoid. And then there are some who I would love to punch in the face. Now, you can see the problems there with the word love, the way we use it in English. Now, if I might presume to address you as an adult congregation, I want to use an illustration that I would use when I'm doing marriage preparation classes. We get very confused nowadays by the confusion of sex and love. As if making love and having sex were the same thing. They're not. In the simplest way, having sex is about achieving your own self-gratification. Making love is about ensuring the gratification of your partner. Now, you're shocked because I'm talking about sex on a Sunday morning. But can you see the difference there? Two people can be in a relationship, but actually one or both of them can just be having sex, not making love. Because love is about what you're giving to ensure the fulfillment of the other person. Now... That then applies to all actions in a relationship, in a marriage, whether in the bedroom or in the kitchen. (laughs) Am I living for the sake of my husband or wife, or is my expectation that I just want this relationship to fulfill my needs? So in all that we do, Are we making love or are we having sex? Are we making love or are we seeking after our own needs? And when we extend that out to love in the church, do I come to church, am I a part of the church for the benefit of others and for the glory of God? Or am I here for myself? alone. Do I love those that I come to worship with? When I don't feel like going to church, do I come anyway for the sake of worshipping God and showing love to my brothers and sisters? This is filio, brotherly 
love? Do I pray for others in the church? As part of your daily prayer life, do you remember to pray for your brothers and sisters in your house group? Do you remember to pray for your brothers and sisters who you worship with on a Sunday? Or do I prefer myself? Do I prefer others to myself? Or do I prefer myself? Do I encourage or do I criticize? Am I a participant in the body or a passenger? along for the ride, being looked after by others. You see, brotherly love is not about a pleasant feeling, but an active concern for others. When I was thinking about these verses and arrows. I also thought about rockets, because it is November the 5th. Nice to be topical, isn't it? And uh, thinking about rockets, you know, as a child living in Birmingham, after my parents were divorced and I got a stepdad and all the rest of it, my stepdad brought a box of fireworks home to let off in the back garden. And those of you who are as old as me, and looking around, most of you are, um, you'll remember health and safety didn't come into it in those days, you know? So um, one rocket went up and returned somewhat quicker than expected. The landing was in the open box of fireworks resulting in a rather lower-level pyrotechnic display than intended. And we all leapt in the air as rockets and Roman candles and bangers were flying across the place underneath us, across the garden. Take aim. <laughs> rockets are great when they go where they're supposed to go. <laughs> Take aim. You see, if you'll bear with me for a moment, I have been horrified over the years by the amount of damage caused to the church by self-harm. By people who haven't taken aim at love, but have actually taken aim at one another. We don't need an opposition from outside, it seems. We are so good at hitting and hurting each other. Criticizing each other. How self-ambition and desire for, for position and titles stops the church being what it's supposed to be. Some once, someone put, once put it as the church is the only army that shoots its own injured. When we should be loving and caring for one another, we find it easier to shoot one another people don't match up to our expectations. Now the love for our brothers and sisters is not confined to the local church. It is important that we support BMS and all that they're doing around the world. 
It's important that we support other agencies making a difference in the world in the name of Jesus. And I was so pleased to hear the prayers here this morning because, trust me, when I was going around 150 churches, <laughs> I often found myself in churches which were not praying for anybody but themselves. You know, they were praying for, pray for Aunt Ethel's ingrowing toenails, but they would not be praying for the hurts that were going on outside the church and in the world that we live in. See, John 3, 16 used to be the most, the best-known verse in the Bible, yes? Do you know it's not anymore? The most popular, popular verse in the Bible now is from Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good. I find that awful. A, because it's been taken totally out of context, and B, it's about me, 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 me. John 3.16 is not just about me, 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 me. It's about, for God so loved the world. The cosmos is the word there. But we evangelical Christians too often have taken it and said it's about me, 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 me. So that we even, I mean, I've, I've done it myself. I've taken that verse when preaching evangelistically and said, put your own name in there. For God so loved Stuart. For God so loved Tim. But it's not, doesn't say that, does it? We limit what God has done in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so it is that we should be those who care about God's world and all the people who are in it. And so that's why it's good to be supporting of things like Tear Fund. And I know that you watched the video last week about the rubbish campaign. Yeah? Brothers and sisters, we've got to stop using single-use plastic. It's polluting the world. It's destroying the world. And very sadly, in Burgess Hill, where I live, we had a shop. It's not sad that we had the shop. The shop was a... Um, a scrapless shop. So you took your own containers and filled them up so you didn't have to use plastic. And it's, it stopped trading because not enough people used it because people would rather go to Tesco's and come home with loads of single-use plastic than to put themselves out a little bit to go and buy stuff using their own containers. That's sad, isn't it? We went round, we tried to get Christians to go to the shop. And it was, they'd still rather go to Tesco's. And talk about shops. Let me just go on for a moment. <laughs> Any of you seen the Mars and Spencer's Christmas advert? Watch out for it and then write to M&S and tell them that you think it's awful. Because what it's done, it's taken Christ out of Christmas and it's become this mus. There's lots of things wrong with it. And I have to say, the, the main star of that advert is a friend of my son and daughter-in-law. <laughs> and I wish she hadn't done the advert. It's about being totally selfish this Christmas 
and not caring about the needs of anybody else but putting yourself first. And I'm afraid I will be writing to MS. I would encourage you to do so as well, and I will tell them I intend boycotting them for the time being until they start rethinking their whole idea of how they sell their stuff. I wonder if you would take a job on 89 pence a day. A job that had no pension, no minimum wage, no health and safety, no maternity leave or sick pay. Does that sound like a good job? That's the experience of many people who work in an industry worth $1.7 trillion. I'm talking about the fashion industry, which many of us will buy into this Christmas. Doesn't God's love for his world cause us to pause and think of those workers who are exploited so that we in the West can buy cheap clothes? See, when we start thinking about God's love for this world, the ripples that go out and the consequences for us in how we live matter enormously. That's why love is not just a nice feeling. It's not just sitting down in front of a fireplace and thinking, oh, I do love everybody. <laughs> it's about do we really love one another and do we love the world that God has put us into? I think, to my shame, that there are days when I have been more concerned about putting on my clothes than putting on the armour of God. Well, Christianity is about being on a journey. Salvation is, uh, is not about having arrived but about having decided to be part of the solution rather than the problem. I've already touched on this, but evangelical Christianity is all too often expressed about me getting saved. As such, it can then pander to the consumerist, individualistic, selfish side of human nature, which is strange when it involves following the one who gave up everything, laying aside the glory of heaven to become a child in a manger in Bethlehem, and who said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to become the servant of all. Salvation is what we experience and spread in the process of joining God in his grand mission. We experience God's love, his agape love, as we learn to give it away. As we allow it to flow through us into the lives of others. Well, let me just go off for a second. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, yes? Yeah? In fact, it is the love of, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Because you know that in in Galatians where it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
And then it's like an orange that he opens up and there's all the segments inside. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It's all there, but it's, there is only one fruit of the Spirit. It's love. The rest of it is segments of it. And that fruit grows... I mean, think about an orange tree for a moment. I've seen many orange trees in many countries. I have never seen an orange tree struggling to produce fruit. You know, you don't see the tree standing there and it's going... And out pops an orange. The orange is there because of the life of the tree that grows through it. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, grows in us because we are in Christ. It's the life of the Spirit in us that produces the love. We're not trying to be really, really lovely people. We're rooted in Christ, and His Spirit produces the fruit, which is love. And it's by their fruit you will know them. Amen? So we're in Christ, and His Spirit produces fruit in us. Who gets the benefit of the orange, by the way? It gets eaten, doesn't it? Yeah. But you, the, the, apple, the orange tree doesn't eat its own fruit, does it? The whole point is that the tree is producing this fruit and it's others who get to enjoy the fruit. God produces his fruit in you and me so that other people get the benefit. So because there's a Christian in the home, other people start to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Because there's a Christian in the workplace, other people start to experience the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness. Amen? We don't bear fruit for our benefit. We bear fruit for the benefit of others, to make the world a better place. God's resources being made for other people. That's our ambition for love. That it grows in us and it blesses others. If the world isn't getting a better place, what happened to the Christians who are supposed to be producing the harvest? Hmm. A little boy came home from Sunday school and said, we've been singing Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. Oh, how lovely, said mummy. But the little boy looked a bit put out. But I want to be a train driver, he said. You know, I talk to Christians whose ambition for their children is to be healthy and happy. Oh boy. I understand people in the world saying, that's all you can hope for. You know, if your children are healthy and happy, that's enough. Sorry, rubbish. If you're a Christian, your ambition for your children should be much, much higher than that. Our ambition for our children and our grandchildren. Well, I pray. I've got nine grandchildren. I pray for them every day because I pray for the kingdom of God to come in their lives, for them to live for Jesus, to know the living God. That's far more important than health and happiness, isn't it? 
Paul says here that Christians should not be idle, but be honest workers. I remember having the privilege of sitting behind Billy Graham on one occasion when he was preaching and being able to see his notes, which was fascinating, another time. Um, But (laughs) during the course of what he was saying, he said, Christians should never be bored because there's always work to be done and there's always someone to show the love of God to in word or deed. The way we live as Christians should stand out. I read a letter to the Sunday Times a few years ago in the problem page. And uh, here we go. This was, the, this was the letter. We recently moved house and want to be friendly with our neighbours. They seem nice and have invited us to a party. However, I have discovered that it is actually a meeting of their Christian fellowship group. We ought to go to encourage good relations, but don't really want to mix with such people. What should we do? What kind of reputation have we Christians acquired to drive people to write words like that? The reply from the Sunday Times was a little bit more encouraging. They said, committed Christians... Oh, they said, don't don't worry. Committed Christians may be tiresome, but as far as I know, they are not yet a dangerous cult bent on brainwashing new converts. bit of encouragement there. (laughs) You know, they used to, when I was a teenager, we used to sing a song. They're watching you, marking all you do, hearing the things you say. Let them see the Savior as he shines in you. Let his power control you every day. Bertrand Russell was well known for his lack of and opposition to the Christian faith. His daughter became a Christian, much to his annoyance. But she said, I would have liked to convince my father that I had found what he had been looking for, the ineffable something that he had longed for all his life. I would have liked to persuade him that the search for God does not have to be in vain. But it was hopeless. He had known too many blind Christians, bleak moralists who sucked the joy from life and persecuted their opponents. He would never have been able to see the truth they were hiding. My wife and I were on holiday a few years ago in Italy and we got talking to another couple, as you do on holiday. And uh, and because he was a retired headmaster and his wife was head of department in the school and my wife's a music teacher, and so they got talking and, uh, yeah, all the normal kind of school stuff. And, of course, after the first day or so, they just got round to saying, well, what do you do? And I had to confess <laughs> uh, what I did. And um, it was interesting. By the end of the week, we, we, we talked to them throughout the week. At the end of the week, they said this. They said, we have never met Christians we like before. We have never met Christians we like before. 
all their years in education. I had the privilege of taking Bob's funeral last year. But I thought, what an indictment on us as the church. Our behavior outside the church matters as well as inside. You know, coming down from Liverpool, I'm on the home stretch now, so sorry if I've gone over time. But uh, when we came down from Liverpool, um, <laughs> we'd walk through the estate where we live now and do what we did in Liverpool. So, good morning to people. People look so shocked. You're not supposed to talk to anybody. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, if you're on the tube, you know, you're standing like this to somebody, you never talk to anybody. So we just talk, walk through the estate and say, good morning. People look, and they got used to us at the end. And I'd go into the co-op on the estate and say, good morning, Jill. And she'd look at me so shocked. How do you know my name? Because it says so on your badge. But that's what we're supposed to be like. We are supposed to be those who bring a bit of love and joy and peace and kindness into the lives of other people, aren't we? We are not supposed to be the people who go into the shops and are the biggest complainers because some of those shop assistants have awful times at the moment. The abuse they have experienced since COVID. The levels of shoplifting you've probably seen on the news. They are under threat, many of them. And when somebody comes in and is actually nice to them, you know, what about buying them a box of chocolates for Christmas and saying, share this in the staff room? That's part of us bearing those oranges into the community that we live in. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, said Jesus. Interestingly, Muhammad said, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, which is a very negative approach to the whole thing. Paul is here saying, well, he's not saying retreat from the world and don't have anything to do with it. Rather, he's saying that in our dealings with others, show love and respect rather than expecting love and respect. I was at Swanwick. Uh, some of you remember, some of you know Swanwick, Christian Conference Centre, and I was there in the, back in the days of the old garden wing, um, which is gone now. Um, during the Second World War, prisoners were kept there. But I was sleeping there, and um, I got up to go down the corridor late at night, as one does, and I heard two people talking Romanian, so as I walked past, I said, not bona, and uh, got this sort of shocked, who's speaking Romanian? <laughs> and uh, it, I, I hadn't realized, but it was actually um, Paul Negrut, who is the, um, he was then the um, head of the uh, Romanian Evangelical Alliance. So uh, a story from, from the Paul told. He used to visit a man who spent 17 years in communist prisons for his faith. One evening, Paul went to see him and arrived just after the secret police had left. There was blood all over the man's face and Paul was filled with anger. But his friend said, 
We are not here to complain, Paul. We are here to praise our Lord. Let's pray. So they knelt down together, and Paul was so angry that he didn't really know what to pray. But his friend more than made up for that. He prayed for the secret police, for the Communist Party, for those who had beaten him up. He asked God's forgiveness for them, God's blessing upon them, and God's love to be poured out upon their families. Paul Negrut says, I never heard somebody praying for his enemies with such love as that man. After they had prayed, his friend said that the secret police came twice every week to torture him and that every time they came, he looked into the eyes of the secret policeman and told him that he loved him. Afterwards, he said to this policeman, Sir, if we see each other before the throne of judgment, and if you are eventually lost, I want you to know that it is not because I hate you. It will be because you have rejected Jesus' love and mine. Sometime later, the policeman came back to the house on his own. This time it wasn't to beat the man up. It was to say that he'd become a Christian. He said, your love melted my heart. And through your love, I saw the love of Jesus. And I came to know Jesus. He explained that he had found out that he had cancer and only had a few more weeks to live. He came to ask forgiveness. He came to pray with the man he had tortured. Brothers and sisters, take aim. And we all need to aim a bit higher than we have done. We are called to love each other more and more. Week by week, year by year. And to love the world for which our Saviour died. So let's take fresh aim. Make our ambition to love. Amen. Bless you, Stuart. Thank you. Can we just take a few moments to sit quietly and reflect? How has what you've heard going to affect how you live this coming week? Lord Jesus, you said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. Lord, may your word abide in our hearts and make us fruitful for you and for others. May we always bear the fruit of love. In Jesus' name. Amen. We prepare to leave this place and go back to our homes, to our jobs, to the coming week. Let's commit ourselves and what lies ahead of us into the hands of God. We're going to sing forth in thy name, O Lord, I go.
Go into the world with Jesus as your inspiration, your guide, your Lord, and your friend. Be generous without counting the cost. Give of your time without seeking a reward. Share your love with a needy world. Make peace. Strive for justice. And do it all in Jesus' name and for God's glory. Amen.